0: Section 1 of The Cricket on the Hearth by Charles Dickens This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Sage Turtle A Cricket on the Hearth A Fairy Tale of Home by Charles Dickens Chirp the First The kettle began it. Don't tell me what Mrs. Peerybingle said. I know better. Mrs. Peerybingle may leave it on record to the end of time that she couldn't say which of them began it. But I say the kettle did. I ought to know, I hope, the kettle began it, full five minutes by the little waxy-faced Dutch clock in the corner, before the cricket uttered a chirp as if the clock hadn't finished striking and the convulsive little haymaker at the top of it, jerking away right and left with a scythe in front of a Moorish palace, hadn't mowed down half an acre of imaginary grass before the cricket joined in at all. Why? I am not naturally positive. Everyone knows that I wouldn't set my own opinion against the opinion of Mrs. Peerybingle, unless I were quite sure, on any account whatever nothing should induce me but this is a question of fact and the fact is that the kettle began it at least five minutes before the cricket gave any sign of being in existence contradict me and i'll say ten Let me narrate exactly how it happened. I should have proceeded to do so in my very first word, but for this plain consideration, if I am to tell a story, I must begin at the beginning. And how is it possible to begin at the beginning without beginning at the kettle? It appeared as if there were a sort of match or trial of skill, you must understand, between the kettle and the cricket, and this is what led to it and how it came about mrs peerybingle going out into the raw twilight and clicking over the wet stones in a pair of pattens that worked innumerable rough impressions of the first proposition in euclid all about the yard mrs peerybingle filled the kettle at the water-butt presently returning less the pattens and a good deal less for they were tall and mrs peerybingle was but short she set the kettle on the fire in doing which she lost her temper or mislaid it for an instant for the water being uncomfortably cold and in that slippy slushy sleety part of state wherein it seems to penetrate through every kind of substance patent rings included had laid hold of mrs Peerybingle's toes and even splashed her legs and when we rather plume ourselves with reason too upon our legs and keep ourselves particularly neat in point of stockings We find this, for the moment, hard to bear. Besides, the kettle was aggravating and obstinate. It wouldn't allow itself to be adjusted on the top bar. It wouldn't hear of accommodating itself kindly to the knobs of coal. It would lean forward with a drunken air and dribble a very idiot of a kettle on the hearth. It was quarrelsome and hissed and spluttered morosely at the fire. To sum up all... The lid, resisting Mrs. Peerybingle's fingers, first of all turned topsy-turvy, and then, with an ingenious pertinacity deserving of a better cause, died sideways in down to the very bottom of the kettle. And the hull of the Royal George has never made half the monstrous resistance to coming out of the water which the lid of that kettle employed against Mrs. Peerybingle before she got it up again. It looked sullen and pig-headed enough even then— "'carrying its handle with an air of defiance "'and cocking its spout pertly and mockingly "'at Mrs. Peerybingle as if it said, "'I won't boil. Nothing shall induce me.' "'But Mrs. Peerybingle, with restored good humor, "'dusted her chubby little hands against each other "'and sat down before the kettle, laughing. "'Meantime, the jolly blaze uprose and fell, "'flashing and gleaming on the little haymaker "'at the top of the Dutch clock.' until one might have thought he stood stock-still before the Moorish palace, and nothing was in motion but the flame. He was on the move, however, and had his spasms two to the second, all right and regular, but his sufferings when the clock was going to strike were frightful to behold, and when a cuckoo looked out of a trapdoor in the palace and gave note six times, it shook him every time like a spectral voice or like something wiry plucking at his legs. It was not until a violent commotion and a whirring noise among the weights and ropes below him had quite subsided that this terrified haymaker became himself again, nor was he startled without reason, for these rattling, bony skeletons of clocks are very disconcerting in their operation, and I wonder very much how any set of men, but most of all how Dutchmen, can have had a liking to invent them." There is a popular belief that Dutchmen love broad cases and much clothing for their own lower selves, and they might know better than to leave their clocks so very lank and unprotected, surely. Now it was, you observed, that the kettle began to spend the evening. Now it was that the kettle, growing mellow and musical, began to have irrepressible gurglings in its throat and to indulge in short vocal snorts which it checked in the bud as if it hadn't quite made up its mind yet to be good company now it was that after two or three such vain attempts to stifle its convivial sentiments it threw off all moroseness all reserve and burst into a stream of songs so cozy and hilarious as never maudlin nightingale had yet formed the least idea of so plain too bless you you might have understood it like a book better than some books you and i could name perhaps with its warm breath gushing forth in a light cloud which merrily and gracefully ascended a few feet, then hung about the chimney-corner as its own domestic heaven. It trolled its song with that strong energy of cheerfulness that its iron body hummed and stirred upon the fire. And the lid itself, the recently rebellious lid, such as the influence of a bright example, performed a sort of jig and clattered like a deaf and dumb young cymbal that had never known the use of its twin brother. That this song of the kettles was a song of invitation and welcome to somebody out of doors, to somebody at that moment coming on toward the snug, small home and the crisp fire, there is no doubt whatever. Mrs. Peerybingle Bingle knew it perfectly as she sat musing before the hearth. It's a dark night sang the kettle and the rotten leaves are lying by the way and above all is mist and darkness and below all is mire and clay and there's only one relief in all the sad and murky air and i don't know that it is one for it's nothing but a glare of deep and angry crimson where the sun and wind together set a brand upon the clouds for being guilty of such weather and the widest open country is a long dull streak of black and there's hoarfrost on the finger post and thaw upon the track and the ice it isn't water and the water isn't free and you couldn't say that anything is what it ought to be but he's coming 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 and here if you like the cricket did chime in with a chirp chirp chirrup of such magnitude by way of chorus with a voice so astoundingly disproportionate to its size as compared with the kettle size you couldn't see it that if it had then and there burst itself like an overcharged gun if it had fallen victim on the spot and chirruped its little body into fifty pieces it would have seemed a natural and inevitable consequence for which it had expressly laboured the kettle had had the last of its solo performance it persevered with undiminished ardor but the cricket took first fiddle and kept it good heaven how it chirped its shrill sharp piercing voice resounded through the house and seemed to twinkle in the outer darkness like a star there was an indescribable little trill and tremble in it at its loudest which suggested its being carried off its legs and made to leap again by its own intense enthusiasm yet they went very well together the cricket and the kettle the burden of the song was still the same and louder 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 still they sang it in their emulation the fair little listener for fair she was and young though something of what is called the dumpling shape but i don't myself object to that lighted a candle glanced at the haymaker on top of the clock who was getting into a pretty average crop of minutes and looked out of the window where she saw nothing owing to the darkness but her own face imaged in the glass and my opinion is and so would yours have been that she might have looked a long way and seen nothing half so agreeable When she came back and sat down in her former seat, the cricket and the kettle were still keeping it up with a perfect fury of competition, the kettle's weak side clearly being that he didn't know when he was beat. There was all the excitement of a race about it. Chirp, 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 cricket a mile ahead, hum, 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 kettle making play in the distance like a great top, chirp, chirp chirp cricket round the corner hum 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 kettle sticking to him in his own way no idea of giving in chirp 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 cricket fresher than ever hum 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 kettle slow and steady chirp chirp "'Chirp! Cricket going in to finish him! "'Hum! Hum! Hum! Kettle not to be finished, "'until at last they got so jumbled together "'in the hurry, scurry, helter-skelter of the match "'that whether the kettle chirped and the cricket hummed "'or the cricket chirped and the kettle hummed "'or they both chirped and both hummed, "'it would have taken a clearer head than yours or mine "'to have decided with anything like certainty. "'But of this there is no doubt.' that the kettle and the cricket at one and the same moment and by some power of amalgamation best known to themselves sent each in his fireside song of comfort streaming into a ray of the candle that shone out through the window and a long way down the lane and this light bursting on a certain person who on the instant approached toward it through the gloom expressed the whole thing to him literally in a twinkling and cried welcome home old fellow welcome home my boy this end attained the kettle being dead beat boiled over and was taken off the fire mrs Peerybingle then went running to the door where what with the wheels of a cart the tramp of a horse the voice of a man the tearing in and out of an excited dog and the surprising and mysterious appearance of a baby there was soon the very what's-his-name to play where the baby came from or how mrs Peerybingle got hold of it in that flash of time i don't know but a live baby there was in mrs Peerybingle's arms and a pretty tolerable amount of pride she seemed to have in it when she was drawn gently to the fire by a sturdy figure of a man much taller and much older than herself who had to stoop a long way down to kiss her but she was worth the trouble six foot six with the lumbago might have done it oh goodness john said mrs p what a state you're in with the weather He was something the worse for it, undeniably. The thick mist hung in clots upon his eyelashes like candied thaw, and between the fog and fire together there were rainbows in his very whiskers. Why, you see, Dot, John made answer slowly as he unrolled a shawl from about his throat and warmed his hands. It it ain't exactly summer weather, so no wonder. I wish you wouldn't call me Dot, John. I don't like it said Mrs. Peerybingle, pouting in a way that clearly showed she did like it very much. Why, what else are you? returned Jean, looking down upon her with a smile and giving her waist as light a squeeze as his huge hand and arm could give. A dot, and here he glanced at the baby. A dot, and Carrie, I won't say it for fear I should spoil it, but I was very near a joke. I don't know as ever I was nearer he was often near to something or other very clever by his own account this lumbering slow honest john this john so heavy but so light of spirit so rough upon the surface but so gentle at the core so dull without so quick within so stolid but so good Oh, mother nature give thy children the true poetry of heart that hid itself in this poor carrier's breast he was but a carrier by the way and we can bear to have them talking prose and leading lives of prose and bear to bless thee for their company it was pleasant to see dot with her little figure and her baby in her arms a very doll of a baby glancing with a coquettish thoughtfulness at the fire and inclining her delicate little head just enough to one side to let it rest in an odd half natural, half affected, wholly nestling and agreeable manner on the great rugged figure of the carrier. It was pleasant to see him with his tender awkwardness endeavoring to adapt his rude support to her slight need, and make his burly middle-age a leaning staff, not inappropriate to her blooming youth. It was pleasant to observe how Tilly Slowboy, waiting in the background for the baby, took special cognizance, though in her earliest teens, of this grouping, and stood with her mouth and eyes wide open and her head thrust forward, taking it in as if it were air. Nor was it less agreeable to observe how John the Carrier, reference being made by Dot to the aforesaid baby, checked his hand when on the point of touching the infant as if he thought he might crack it, and bending down, surveyed it from a safe distance with a kind of puzzled pride. "'such as an amiable mastiff might be surprised to show "'if he found himself one day the father of a young canary.' "'Ain't he beautiful, John? "'Don't he look precious in his sleep?' "'Very precious,' said John. "'Very much so. "'He generally is asleep, ain't he? "'Lord, John, good gracious, no!' "'Oh,' said John, pondering, "'I thought his eyes was generally shut. "'Hello!' "'Goodness, John!' "'How you startle one?' "'It ain't right for him to turn him up in that way,' said the astonished carrier. "'Is it? "'See how he's winking with both of them at once, "'and look at his mouth Why, he's gasping like a gold and silver fish.' "'You don't deserve to be a father, you don't,' said Dot, "'with all the dignity of an experienced matron. "'But how should you know what little complaints children are troubled with, John? "'You wouldn't so much as know their names, you stupid fellow.' and when she had turned the baby over on her left arm and slapped its back as a restorative she pinched her husband's ear laughing no said john pulling off his outer coat it's very true dod i don't know much about it i only know that i've been fighting pretty stiffly with the wind to-night it's been blowing northeast straight into the cart the whole way home poor old man so it has cried mrs peerybingle instantly becoming very active "'Here, take the precious darling, Tilly, while I make myself of some use. "'Bless it, I could smother it with kissing it, I could. "'Hi, then. Good dog. Hi, boxer boy. "'Only let me make the tea first, John, "'and then I'll help with the parcels like a busy bee. "'How doth the little and all the rest of it, you know, John. "'Did you ever learn how doth the little when you went to school, John?' "'Not quite to know it,' John returned." i was very near at once but i should only have spoilt it i dare say (laughs) laughed dot she had the blithest little laugh you ever heard what a dear old darling of a dunce you are john to be sure not at all disputing this position jean went out to see that the boy with the lantern which had been dancing to and fro before the door and window like a will-o'-the-wisp took due care of the horse who was fatter than you would quite believe if i gave you his measure and so old that his birthday was lost in the mists of antiquity boxer feeling that his attentions were due to the family in general and must be impartially distributed dashed in and out with bewildering inconstancy now describing a circle of short barks round the horse where he was being rubbed down at the stable door now feigning to make savage rushes at his mistress and facetiously bringing himself to sudden stops now eliciting a shriek from Tilly Slowboy in the low nursing chair near the fire by the unexpected application of his moist nose to her countenance, now exhibiting an obtrusive interest in the baby, now going round and round upon the hearth and lying down as if he had just established himself for the night, now getting up again and taking that nothing of a fag end of a tale of his out into the weather, as if he had just remembered an appointment and was off at a round trot to keep it there there's the teapot ready on the hob said dot as briskly busy as a child at play at keeping house and there's the cold knuckle of ham and there's the butter and there's the crusty loaf and all here's a clothes-basket for the small parcels john if you've got any there where are you john don't let the dear child fall into the great tilly whatever you do It may be noted of Miss Slowboy, in spite of her rejecting the caution with some vivacity, that she had a rare and surprising talent for getting this baby into difficulties, and had several times imperiled its short life in a quiet way peculiarly her own. She was of a spare and straight shape, this young lady, insomuch that her garments appeared to be in constant danger of sliding off those sharp pegs, her shoulders on which they were loosely hung her costume was remarkable for the partial development on all possible occasions of some flannel vestment of a singular structure also for affording glimpses in the region of the back of a corset or a pair of stays in colour a dead green being always in a state of gaping admiration at everything and absorbed besides in the perpetual contemplation of her mistress's perfections and the babies miss slowboy in her little errors of judgment may be said to have done equal honour to her head and to her heart and though these did less honour to the baby's head which they were the occasional means of bringing into contact with deal doors, dressers, stair rails, bedposts, and other foreign substances. Still, they were the honest results of Tilly Slowboy's constant astonishment at finding herself so kindly treated and installed in such a comfortable home. For the maternal and paternal Slowboy were alike unknown to fame, and Tilly had been bred by public charity, a foundling, which word, though only differing from Fondling by one vowel's length is very different in meaning and expresses quite another thing to have seen little mrs peerybingle come back with her husband tugging at the clothes-basket and making the most strenuous exertions to do nothing at all for he carried it would have amused you almost as much as it amused him it may have entertained the cricket too for anything i know but certainly it now began to chirp again vehemently a day said john in his slow way it's merrier than ever to-night i think and it's sure to bring us good fortune john it always has done so to have a cricket on the hearth is the luckiest thing in all the world john looked at her as if he had very nearly got the thought into his head that she was his cricket-in-chief and he quite agreed with her but it was probably one of his narrow escapes for he said nothing The first time I heard its cheerful little note, John, was on that night when you brought me home, when you brought me to my new home here, its little mistress, nearly a year ago. You recollect, John? Oh, yes. John remembered. I should think so. Its chirp was such a welcome to me. It seemed so full of promise and encouragement. It seemed to say you would be kind and gentle with me and would not expect i had a fear of that john then to find an old head on the shoulders of your foolish little wife john thoughtfully patted one of the shoulders and then the head as though he would have said no no he had had no such expectation he had been quite content to take them as they were and really he had reason they were very comely it spoke the truth john when it seemed to say so for you have ever been i am sure the best the most considerate the most affectionate of husbands to me this has been a happy home john and i love the cricket for its sake why so do i then said the carrier so do i dot i love it for the many times i have heard it and the many thoughts its harmless music has given me sometimes in the twilight when i have felt a little solitary and downhearted, john before baby was here to keep me company and make the house gay when i have thought how lonely you would be if i should die how lonely i should be if i could know that you had lost me dear its chirp 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 upon the hearth has seemed to tell me of another little voice so sweet so very dear to me before whose coming sound my trouble vanished like a dream And when I used to fear, I did fear once, John, I was very young, you know, that ours might prove to be an ill-assorted marriage, I being such a child, and you more like my guardian than my husband, and that you might not, however hard you tried, be able to learn to love me as you hoped and prayed you might, it's chirp, 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 has cheered me up again and filled me with new trust and confidence. I was thinking of these things tonight, dear, when I sat expecting you, and I love the cricket for their sake. And so do I repeated john but dot i hope and pray that i might learn to love you how you talk i had learnt that long before i brought you here to be the cricket's little mistress dot she laid her hand an instant on his arm and looked up at him with an agitated face as if she would have told him something next moment she was down upon her knees before the basket speaking in a sprightly voice and busy with the parcels there are not many of them tonight, john but i saw some goods behind the cart just now and though they give more trouble perhaps still they pay as well so we have no reason to grumble have we besides you have been delivering i dare say as you came along oh yes john said a good many why what's this round box a heart alive john it's a wedding cake leave a woman alone to find out that said john admiringly "'Now, a man would never have thought of it, "'whereas it's my belief that if you was to pack a wedding cake up in a tea-chest "'or a turnip bedstead or a pickled salmon keg or any unlikely thing, "'a woman would be sure to find it out directly. "'Yes, I called for it at the pastry-cooks.' "'And it weighs I don't know what whole hundredweights,' cried Dot, "'making a great demonstration of trying to lift it. "'Whose is it, John? Where's it going?' "'Read the writing on the other side.' said john why john my goodness john ah who'd have thought it john returned you never mean to say pursued dot sitting on the floor and shaking her head at him that it's gruff and Hackleton, the toy maker john nodded mrs peerybingle nodded also fifty times at least not in a cent in dumb and pitying amazement screwing up her lips the while with all their little force they were never made for screwing up i am clear of that and looking the good carrier through and through in her abstraction miss slowboy in the meantime who had a mechanical power of reproducing scraps of current conversation for the delectation of the baby "'with all the scents struck out of them "'and all the nouns changed into the plural number, "'inquired aloud of that young creature. "'Was it Gruff's and Tackleton's, the toy-makers, then? "'And would it call it pastry-cooks for wedding cakes? "'And did its mothers know the boxes "'when its fathers brought them home? "'And so on. "'And that is really to come about,' said Dot. "'Why, she and I were girls at school together, John.' He might have been thinking of her, or nearly thinking of her, perhaps, as she was in that same school time. He looked upon her with a thoughtful pleasure, but he made no answer. "'And he's as old as unlike her What? How many years older than you is Gruff and Tackleton, John?' "'How many more cups of tea shall I drink tonight at one sitting than Gruff and Tackleton ever took in four, I wonder,' replied John good humouredly as he drew a chair to the round table and began at the cold ham as to eating i eat but little but that little i enjoy dot even this is usual sentiment at meal-times one of his innocent delusions for his appetite was always obstinate and flatly contradicted him awoke no smile in the face of his little wife who stood among the parcels pushing the cake-box slowly from her with her foot and never once looked though her eyes were cast down too upon the dainty shoe she generally was so mindful of Absorbed in thought, she stood there, heedless alike of the tea and John, though he called to her and rapped the table with his knife to startle her, until he rose and touched her on the arm. When she looked at him for a moment and hurried to her place behind the tea-board, laughing at her negligence, but not as she had laughed before, the manner and the music were quite changed. End of Chirp the First, Part One, read by Sage Turtle. Of Quirky Nomads dot com.